Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level. A rugged place it places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. And for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, excuse me, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, <clears throat> because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on the highway, high mountain, who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. <clears throat> Do not be afraid, says the town of Judah. Here is your God. See the sovereign Lord come with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him, and his comp recompense accompanies, accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Amen. Now you want me to say something? Okay, I well, I got, <coughs> I got me. There you go. Thank you. You got it. <laughs> Five. All right. Now I. She asked me to say something about hope, and uh, <clears throat> I've lived my whole life with hope, but like so many other people, when I was young, I hoped for the things like so small, so it didn't seem significant. As I progressed in years, my hope has always asked for bigger, 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 bigger things. And right now in the stage of my life, you know all I can say is, come, Lord Jesus. That is the best, most, you can't even believe how awesome that statement can be. Because we know what we're living or how we're living or the world we're living in. And yet we do need Jesus to come again. We can celebrate his birth. It's awesome. It's, it's in the past. But the next one is going to be unbelievable. So unbelievable, we can't even describe it. So that's my hope. What is coming? All I can say is, come Lord Jesus. Thank you. We hear it every year on the Charlie Brown Christmas. 
In the time of Herod the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, <clears throat> excuse me, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. My space is a little small today, so we're going to have to put this in the pocket. Um, how many of you have plans to travel at Christmas time? Anybody? Yeah. A lot of times people travel to see relatives or friends from other places. Um, when my children were about Ben's age, we used to go to Pennsylvania every year between Christmas and New Year's, so, because the rest of our family was down that way. And um, I'm sure they have fond memories of those trips. Uh, <laughs> we used to leave Christmas Eve, right after the, the Christmas Eve service, in their jammies, and drive to Pennsylvania, and do Christmas morning down there. Then we finally got to the point and said, no, we're going to do Christmas in our own house, and we'll come down 
the next day. But we still went down. Years. We still went down. And every year, we're driving along 84, and then 287 and 87 and all that. And every year, we would see the same thing. We would see lovely yellow trucks and signs that say, caution, roads under construction. And we would see them digging up the road, yeah, and putting it in the dump truck and driving away at two miles an hour. And we'd say, oh, it's going to be so nice when this construction's done. Can't wait to see what it's going to look like. And the next year, that part was really nice, but the next part, the same thing, construction. And it's like, when is this ever going to be done? Never. Because once the first part's fixed, and they fix the next part, and the next part, then they have to go back and fix the first part again, right? It's like Route 20. Is Route 20 ever, ever going to be fixed? No, I don't think so. Because they straighten it out, and then they decide, oh, well, we need to do this, and now we need to do that. And never. And that made me think about the, the passage that David read today from Isaiah chapter 40, where it talks about making straight the road and preparing our, the way for the Lord. Now, most of us in here are pretty good friends with Jesus, right? Or are becoming close friends with him. And we made that road straight so that he could be part of our lives and come into our hearts. But you know what? Just like Route 20 and 84 and 287, it always needs work. And so this Advent season, I would challenge myself and each one of us here to remember that we aren't perfect yet. And there's still rough places in our lives and things that need to be widened or smoothed or made straight. And so as we go through this Advent season and we get stuck in traffic because of the construction, maybe we can use that time to say, okay, Lord, make straight my heart. Straighten out those crazy bends and turns and smooth out those rough places. Make my heart ready for you. And this is an ongoing thing. You should do it all year long. But this season, especially, let's remember that. And let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you love us so much, that you gave us Jesus. Help us to prepare our hearts to actually receive him every day. There's a lot of stuff that accumulates in our hearts that doesn't need to be there. And just like the roads, we are still under construction, and we won't be perfect until we get to be with you. So help us to remember to have patience and to be tuned in to you and what you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, please open our ears and our hearts and give us your hope today. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. God with us. Amen. So it is Advent, which means we're in a new season, and I didn't make a new graphic for our Facebook page, but I think the name, I just decided this while I was sitting there, the name of this 
uh, sermon series is cast of characters. We are going to focus on characters in the Christmas story, or in the Advent story, actually, the lead up to Christmas, um, one each week. And this week, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. So, having said that, <laughs> um, we don't normally use heralds anymore, right? What do we use them for? Announcing? Yeah, so a herald is someone who makes an announcement, usually a forerunner to somebody important, right? So someone important is going to show up, and then the, the herald is supposed to run into the village or whatever with their flag and their whatever medieval megaphone. I'm picturing these, like, <laughs> I, I'm picturing the Middle Ages for some reason. <coughs> anyway, um, and then they say, hear ye, hear ye, this, the king is coming or something. Um, but we don't see that very often. Uh, but I do think we have something similar. Facebook notifications? <laughs> <laughs> Facebook notifications. I feel like there's just so many of those, although it's not totally different. I, I was thinking in terms of movie trailers. We used to call them previews. Um, what is the point of a movie trailer? Get you hooked. Okay, get you hooked. Let you know what the movie is going to be about. When it's going to come out. Right. Great. So trailers are sometimes, some are better than others. There are some trailers that you watch and you're like, I've just seen the whole movie. I don't need to go watch that. Um, and there are others that are like, well, I definitely don't want to see that movie. Um, but others really do what they're supposed to do. They make you interested and intrigued and in a way, kind of hopeful. Trailers are designed to get our hopes up. There's a weird phenomenon I've noticed on and off since the Star Wars prequels came out, which is, this is a long time now, but not just the trailers hyping the movie, but hype for the trailers. <laughs> Have you noticed that in these franchise <laughs> movies? They're like, the, the first official trailer of, I can't think of one right now, but I, there was characters. one. What's that? Cast of characters. First yeah. Official trailer for cast okay, of characters. this is the trailer for cast of characters. Right, right, right. But also, like, oh, Dune. Dune came out with a movie, uh, a trailer for the second <coughs> Dune movie, and everyone was really excited about it, and the trailer was great, and then they postponed the release of the second movie, and that was disappointing. Anyway, but trailers are not the main event, or they're not supposed to be. They are not the point, but they are important. Today's passage that Tom read for us is a little bit like <coughs> hype for the trailer. It's like the trailer for the trailer. We are looking ahead to commemorating Christmas, the first arrival of the Messiah, and we're also looking ahead to his second coming that David was talking about, um, which we hope to be a part of in some way or other. But first, there is this guy, normally known as John the Baptist, preparing the way of the Lord, in spite of some really old books from Baptist denominations. John was not the first Baptist, so I usually try to call him John the Baptizer. Um, the Messiah was prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament, but so was his herald, his forerunner, his trailer. John the Baptist was prophesied 
just like Jesus. He was codenamed Elijah. Elijah was an actual guy um, in the Old Testament, in, the, in Israel. He was the first major prophet of the people of God after Moses. And he was really important, and for centuries after him, there were prophecies that not only would there be a, a, a prophet like Moses, which actually points to Jesus, but there would be another Elijah who was going to come back. And Jewish people today still celebrate, a lot of times they'll set a place for Elijah to show up just in case at Passover time. It's an empty chair, and they're waiting for him because he is also prophesied. Interestingly, John the Baptist didn't seem to realize that he was Elijah because in John chapter 1, he said, the Pharisees ask him <coughs> if he's Elijah, and he says no. But Jesus said he was, so that's how we know. John the baptizer is the fulfillment of the Elijah prophecy. So I call today's passage the trailer for the trailer, or the hype for the trailer, because in a real way, John the baptizer is, in, is the main character here, except he's not even born yet. The only thing he does in the story that we read is get conceived, <laughs> which he didn't really have much to do with. So, but he's still the main character in this movie that we're not only anticipating, but actually participating in. So what kind of, I think one thing that this, this trailer shows us is what, not just what kind of movie is coming up and what kind of story we're entering ourselves, but how, how it's going to play out when we decide to follow the Messiah that John was born to prepare the way for. So the kind of movie that this is, I bet you cannot guess what kind of movie I think this is that we're a part of. It's not a comedy. You said it's not a comedy? It's a comedy. <laughs> so there are two ways that we understand comedy. There's the typical popular culture way, which, we'll, which I think this is too. Um, and then there's the literary way, and we'll talk about that next. But first we'll talk about how is this a comedy that's funny. I do think it's funny. I think the human story is tragic, but it's also kind of funny. Being human is sort of funny. It's just weird and awkward, and we have weird limitations and rules, and our brains work strange, and um, sometimes it's only funny because we're laughing at the pain of being human, but, but even then, we have this capacity to find humor in dark places. In this story, this is actually a story of the heavens and the earth beginning to interact with each other again. So God's plan when he created the world was for human beings to be the kind of hybrid, both physical and spiritual being that merged the heavens and the earth. And we kind of screwed that up every time we just make it decision with ourselves first instead of God and his glory first, and so the world is broken and there's a rift between the heavens and the earth. But, and the Old Testament ended, the writing of the Old Testament ended 500 years before Jesus came, 
And in that time, the Jewish people still prayed and they still worshiped God in different ways because the temple got destroyed and then it got rebuilt and all kinds of things. But they didn't, and they wrote a lot of things, but they didn't have any more inspired scripture. They didn't have any more prophets like the ones in the Old Testament. And so it was like there was silence. There was nothing going on between the heavens and the earth. They were, they were divorced. They weren't interacting anymore. And all of a sudden, we have this story. John the Baptizer is often considered the last Old Testament prophet, even though there were 500 years between him and the other last Old Testament prophet. So here is, all of a sudden, the heavens and the earth are starting to communicate with each other again. God, God's eventual and ultimate plan is for the heavens and the earth to be reunited again. This is what we're going to. This is what the future is. This is what's going to happen when Jesus returns. This interaction, though, is kind of like if you go to a foreign country and you have different cultural understandings. So I, some of you know, I lived in England for five years, and we speak the same language, right? Sort of. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but sort of not. For example, if I go and I talk about my pants, um, that means something else. That is women's undergarments in the UK. And so you can have a conversation and use the same words and they don't actually mean the same thing and you think you're talking about the same thing and then you realize you're not. That's sort of what's happening in this story, I feel. Here's Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are two old people. They have been subject to one of the many disappointments of this broken world. They want to have children and they have never been able to have children. And they are past the possibility of having any kids. And that's not funny, really, at all. But what is funny is the idea, and at least Sarah in the Old Testament, Abraham's wife, thought this was funny, the idea of two old people, really old people, having their first kid. It's a little funny. The other thing that's funny, I think, in this story is Gabriel. He does not seem to get the complications of being human. He shows up, and he's so happy, and he's like, Zechariah, you've been praying, and God's heard your prayers, and you and Elizabeth are going to have a kid, and this kid is going to be great, and every, you're going to love him, and everybody's going to love him, and he's going to bring people back to God. And Zechariah, okay, we like to make fun of people in the Bible sometimes for having an angel show up and not believing, but like, I feel like if I was an old person who wanted to have a kid and I had been praying about it my whole life and I had never had a kid, and I'm also, I really love God and I work in the temple and I'm doing a special ceremony in the temple that I've never done before, I might think that I saw an angel, but not be totally sure. <laughs> like, I haven't seen an angel before. How do I know this? What? What is this? So he asks a pretty reasonable question for a human being with our limitations and his history. And um, Sir, can you maybe 
confirm some way that this is going to happen? I don't think this is a bad question to ask. But Gabriel somehow doesn't seem to get this, and he says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Kind of like, I just inconvenienced myself. <laughs> I, I just came all this way to tell you this, and you're not going to believe me? Come on. And now, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Was this really necessary? Was Gabriel having a bad day? Like, did God tell him to make Zechariah shut up? I don't know. I don't know that this was God's idea. I feel like Gabriel was just like, who is this little dude not believing me for? I just came all this way. Yeah, maybe it was a difficult trip. <laughs> Could have been. I mean, there are some there are some recorded angelic trips in the Bible where there where there was fighting. So in Daniel, so yeah, you're right. It could have been a difficult trip. And then another. This is the last piece that I think is funny about this story. All of this stuff is happening behind this curtain in the temple, and then in a very understated way, Luke says, "Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple." And then there's this game of charades. He comes out and he can't talk, and they somehow have to figure out that he can't talk because he saw an angel. And how did he, what, how did he communicate that? And then he went home and did the human thing that a man needs to do to a woman so that the woman has a baby. I think the story is kind of funny, not in like roll on the floor laughing, but these are funny little details that highlight the weirdness, the funniness of being human, and what it feels like to try to merge our humanness with the heavens. So it's funny, it's a comedy because it's funny, but it's also a comedy in the true literary sense of the word. This one little story has a happy ending. And that's what comedy actually means. Comedy, a comedy is a story that starts off okay, dips way down, comes back up with a happy ending. It looks like a smile. Also, have we seen this movie, this movement before, recently? Philippians 2, the way of the cross. Jesus left his rights and his throne in heaven, he came down, and then he was exalted to the highest place. The Christian story is a true comedy in the sense that it goes down, it goes way down, but it has a happy ending. So this one little story also is that kind of comedy. There's a devout man of God who has spent his whole life praying for a child, for himself and his wife, even when it was so past hope that seeing an angel didn't convince him. Have you ever prayed for something so long that when it finally seemed like it was actually being fulfilled, you didn't actually believe it or see it as a fulfillment because you've been praying about it so long you stopped actually thinking it was going to happen? Yeah, I feel like that's kind of this. He's been praying forever and ever. An angel shows up and says, your prayer is going to be answered, and he doesn't believe it at first, but he sees his prayers answered. 
and a devout woman of God who longed to be a mother, but who also felt her disgrace her whole life in a culture that only valued a woman by her ability to bear children. And now she's able to praise the Lord, and her words are recorded. She says, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And a prophecy is fulfilled. The forerunner of the Messiah is announced and conceived. He will prepare the way of the Lord. John the baptizer, the fulfillment of the Elijah prophecy, is conceived. Guess what that means? The Messiah is coming next. So really, this story not only has its own happy ending, but it prepares the way for the one, John, who prepared the way for the one who is the way to happiness and joy for all of humanity. And so it stirs up our hope. In Romans 8.24, the Apostle Paul says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he can already see? In other words, if you already have the thing, you don't have to hope for it, right? But we don't already have the full fulfillment of the thing. Jesus came, Jesus lived, he lived the righteous life of a human being that God wanted all of us to live. He was crucified, he was resurrected. On that level, he mysteriously defeated death and sin and all of those things that we, but we still fight with them, with those things in this life. And he hasn't come back yet to wrap it all up. And so we still need to live in hope. Hope itself is the trailer for the comedy that we're living in. Hope itself prepares the way for the Lord. It does it for us as individuals in our own hearts and for the people of God as a body, as a community, and for the whole world. Gabriel told Zechariah, Gabriel told Zechariah that, that hope is for individuals, for the people of God, and for the whole world. First he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer, Zechariah's prayer. Your prayer for a kid has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. This is for Zechariah and Elizabeth. But it's also for the people of God. He says, many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And this is hope for the whole world. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Last week we talked about dragons, and so I've been thinking about dragons this week, and death, and sin, all those really serious topics, but also about miracles. I think sometimes we wonder why we can pray our whole lives like Zechariah and Elizabeth did, and our prayers don't get answered, or at least it doesn't seem like they get answered, or at least maybe we got a no, or maybe the thing we got instead was not what we were really hoping for, or at least we don't get a miracle. 
And I hear a lot of times people saying, how come God doesn't do miracles like he did when, when Jesus was around? Why doesn't he do those things? Obviously he can. So then we think, God doesn't care. God doesn't care about my one little individual thing or about this tiny church or about South Ridge or whatever. Or we think, maybe God, maybe things got more complicated now. I don't know. Maybe God doesn't actually, he's not actually able. Or sometimes I think we might think that we're not good enough for God to notice us or we don't have enough faith or we should we should be doing something better, and we can't do it, we can't figure it out. Somehow, can't break through to God. He, he, we're not important enough. But here's something that I've become aware of recently. First of all, God can do any miracle he wants. But generally speaking, he only overturns the natural laws that he created, because by the way, he made those things too. Natural laws are not something that's independent of God. He made those. So he isn't usually going to overturn those unless he is preparing right then in a particular community or in a particular life, he's preparing the way for Jesus to come and establish his kingdom more visibly and fully on earth. So this is why when Jesus was here in his body, he, the miracles that are recorded, especially in the Gospel of John, it's noted, but in all the Gospels, all of the miracles are recorded because they did something to further the actual coming of the kingdom. And they were a sign that this is what we have to hope for. Not every single person got healed. Not every single person got a miracle, but the miracles that happened were happening because both Jesus and John the Baptizer had the same gospel message, repent for the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of God is near. The merging of heaven and earth is starting. Here we go. This is what it looks like when these two realms are united. Healing and understanding and love and hope and trust. The beginning of John, the birth of John the Baptist was the beginning of God doing a new thing. And so his birth was miraculous and Jesus' birth was miraculous. Because God was bringing the heavens and the earth together in the way he had planned from the beginning. Preparing the way for him, for Jesus, to merge the heavens and the earth in his own self. Jesus was the ultimate merging of the heavens and the earth. And he's also the promise that all of it will be merged. We will be merged with the heavens and the earth. We will be able to live the life of Jesus, the life that God, the life of God in the universe that God created us for. Jesus is going to come again. And whether we get the miracles that we're praying for now or whether we have to keep praying like Zechariah and Elizabeth until the heavens break through anew, God is inviting all of us to prepare the way of the Lord. So, as we wait, let us wait for Jesus intentionally 
consciously, with expectation, but also with willingness to participate in the coming of the kingdom. That means hearing the gospel message that Jesus and John the baptizer preached. Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God is near. We all need to do this all the time, including myself. I'm not just standing here saying you need to. We all need to constantly be bringing ourselves before the Lord and seeing where we need to repent because the kingdom of the heavens is near and please clear out all this junk so that you can live your kingdom life through me. So we wait for Jesus. We wait expectantly. We wait willingly. We also need to remember that sometimes there are still cultural miscommunications along the way. We have not been fully transformed. We've not been fully renewed. And following the way of the cross is very cross-cultural. It doesn't, it's not part of our human culture, our fallen, sinful human culture. We don't automatically say, oh yes, please, bring on all the suffering <laughs> so God can be glorified. We, that's not, we just don't like that. But that is the way of Jesus sacrificing ourselves for each other and for the kingdom. And let's prepare the way for him in our own hearts before anything else. Let's do it right now by celebrating his life, death, and resurrection together, which he accomplished to unite us with the heavens and the earth. In him is our hope. Let's pray and then we'll sing our communion hymn together. Lord, thank you again that you are our hope. We ask that you will help us to wait for you expectantly, to wait for you joyfully, and to be willing to cooperate with whatever work you want to do in each of our hearts and in us as a church for your glory and the coming of the kingdom. In your name, amen.